It's October, the busiest month of the year here at Haunting Season, and I've been doing my due diligence by keeping my fingers clacking across the keyboard writing scary stories for you to enjoy. These tales will intensify the closer we get to All Hallows' Eve, and tonight we start with Gerald and his wife, Patty, on her last day on Earth. Then we have some guests on the show to talk about the story, and we hear from you, dear listener, about what you would do if you had just one day to live. But first, grab your headphones, turn out the lights, Find a safe hiding space and fall in to haunting season. Gerald came careening around the corner of Glendale and Wilson in his 1995 Buick Skylark to the tune of Billy Joel's piano solo from Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, which was struggling to stay in tune on the worn-out audio cassette in his dash. He grinned ear to ear, taking the turn like a Formula One race driver. Beside him, in a fit of hysterical laughter, sat Patty, his beloved wife and now partner in crime, gripping the handlebar above the passenger window, which was slightly open, and leaning out, letting the wind catch her hair. Patty was 76, and today was her last day on Earth. Did you see the look on her face? Gerald belted in his hard-of-hearing old man voice. I always hated that cat. Patty shouted back slowly and precisely. Popped its head like a water balloon. (laughs) Pop! Gerald continued. They laughed again as Gerald pulled the car behind a pharmacy and stole a quick peck on the lips from his wife. What's next? Patty removed a worn-out and wrinkled pocket-sized notebook with a black cardboard cover from her purse, thumbed it open to the last page, clicked her pen, and put a wobbly old lady scribble through the line that read, Toby the cat ripped my pant leg, bit me once too. Jocelyn cut me off at a red light last week. No, I told you that wasn't her. Okay, fine. She scribbled it out. What about Doreen? Gerald grinned. Doreen watered her plants on the bluest blue sky day of her life. A yellow and black butterfly circled the royal blue towers of Delphinium as they bowed cordially under the weight of their precious water droplets. The bees are busier than ever today, Doreen thought, watching one with bright yellow pollen patting its thighs. It reminded her of watching Shakespeare at the local college last year. What fun. She'd have to drop a hint to Harry, her husband, later tonight to make sure he gifted her season passes again this year. What a joy, she thought, lost in pleasure, as the purse strap of Patty's pocketbook slipped around her neck and tightened firmly with a twist. Tightened again. Twist. Twist. Twist as the hose shot straight up into the air and rained down like a soft summer shower, Patty leaned close and whispered in her ear, Grandmother's recipe, my ass. Good night, Doreen. Patty hobbled back to the car, hair stuck to her face like a wet dog, and got in. Gerald winced. The seats, Pat, and shook his head slowly, speeding away from Doreen's body as it soaked in the mud below the gushing hose on her front lawn. Patty scribbled out the entry, Doreen stole my pot roast recipe from her book, and slid her finger down the list. I'd love to take care of that Dr. Jones, she said. Oh, that's not his fault, hun. We knew the risks. 
Patty whined and moved on to the next name. Hank Roberts had been running late that day, and Tommy's body was blocking the driveway. Hank exited the house, looked down at the helpless boy, sighed and squeezed either side of his nose bone with his thumb and his forefinger in a dramatic display of muted frustration. Tommy was too weak to call for help, too startled and in too much pain to move, so he watched as Hank walked to his slick black luxury car, dumped his briefcase in the passenger seat, and walked towards the boy slowly. When his light brown decorative leather shoes were all that Tommy could see, he felt the bike lifted and then shaken vigorously until Tommy's limp legs fell to the pavement. Hank hurled the bike, which smashed hard onto the sidewalk before toppling into Gerald and Patty's lawn. I'm next, Tommy thought, closing his eyes and waiting to be chucked. He felt the firm hands of Hank underneath of his armpits and braced for impact. But the man simply dragged him to the curb and set him on the grass. He removed a hanky from his pocket and dropped it on Tommy's face. Hank returned to his car, got in, and left without a word. Gerald Buick came to a puttering stop in the driveway of Hank's house and clunked it into park. His cell phone rang. It was Tommy. I'll take care of Hank, Patty said. You explain things to Tommy. Gerald looked into Patty's darkening, sinking eyes and soaked in her features. Time was passing quickly. Soon she would be something else, something he didn't recognize. But he would love her just the same. Nothing would change that. Gerald gazed out the window as his wife limped to the front door. How long could they keep on like this? Things were inevitably becoming more dangerous, but she could handle Hank. He must be 85 by now, Gerald thought, and turned his attention to his phone. Hey, Tommy boy. I got some tough news, buddy. After 46 years of living next to Hank, Patty knew exactly which faux rock had the key inside. She entered the house to find it spotless, as if Hank Roberts' big quiet secret all these years was being married to Mr. Clean himself. To her right was a living room with a perfectly vacuumed white carpet and furniture that had quite possibly never been used, and to her left was a long dining table where, at the far end, Hank lay slumped over, face pressed against the glossy finish between a bottle of expensive single malt scotch, a crystal rock glass, and gripped loosely in his right hand, a small six-shooter with a short barrel like a gangster in a 1920s picture. Patty stood thinking as she scratched her cheek, her once invisible peach fuzz that made her face so irresistibly soft as a young woman was now starting to lengthen and curl like a fluffy, transparent beard. Dad, you're not making any sense. Tommy's voice crackled through the phone. Stop playing games and give it to me straight. I've told you everything, Tommy. There's no cure for this sort of thing. It's an experimental treatment. This is a stupid joke, Dad. Tommy continued talking, but the words were intercepted by a sharp crack from inside the house as Gerald caught sight of a flash behind the curtains of Hank's dining room window. Let's say I believe you. Let's say this isn't some kind of cruel joke. How much time does she have left, Dad? Dad? Hello? Tommy was talking to the pavement. Gerald had dropped his phone in a geriatric power walk for the forest green front door. He paused with his hand hovering above the brass knob. He wasn't supposed to exit the car. No evidence left behind, not from him. If he touched this knob, happily ever after, it was never going to happen. Gerald's mind raced. There was no way Patty had a gun in her pocketbook. She would have told him. This was Hank's gun. And if Hank got Patty, it would get him too. 
And without Patty, there was nothing to live for. The door swung open and Gerald instinctively threw up his hands in defense, shielding his eyes as if despite his osteoporosis, his forearms could stop the bullet. The casings quietly clinked in place as the gun was raised. The hammer pulled back and clicked into place. It was a good run. And at 76 years old, who could ask for a more exciting way to go? If only the plan had worked. If only... Looky what I got! Patty's voice tingled through his body like an orgasm of relief, and Gerald began to cry. Patty held Gerald on the front step for just a moment before inviting him inside the garage to explain the new plan. After the gun went off, Patty had an idea. She raced upstairs and grabbed a suit, shirt, and tie along with a large brimmed hat and brought it down for Gerald. They swapped cars. Jerry slipped on the slim leather driving gloves that were hanging over the steering wheel, sheathing his fingerprints before getting in, and clicked on the air to make sure that the tinted windows of the Lincoln Town Car stayed raised in order to protect his true identity. With the garage closed and the plan in place, Patty leapt into the passenger seat. She was changing more rapidly now. The fuzz on her face was long and curly. Her nose was darker and slightly textured, and her height... She must have lost a foot just between Hank killing himself and getting the new plan together. Now that they had a weapon, they could work more quickly. Patty, one by one, scratched people off her list of did-me-wrongs as Gerald pulled up alongside them in strip mall parking lots, multi-level garages, and in their own driveways. Helen Flanders was a lousy middle school principal. Cheryl Wilkinson didn't allow seconds at the church picnics. Jacob Wallace's daughter broke Tommy's heart in 10th grade, and he was obviously raising her the wrong way. There were five bullets left in the revolver when they found their new homes in the gray matter of those who had crossed Patty and Gerald. It was time to head back to Hank's house to clean up and leave the adventure behind. Patty could still talk, but her legs were shortened and thinned out, her hands and feet shrunken, and her face was starting to elongate. The white, cloudy fuzz on her cheeks had spread all over, and her breasts were completely gone. Her clothing hung off of her body, making it all the more difficult to move around. Patty allowed Gerald to step inside Hank's house while she reset the scene. As long as he was wearing the Hank suit, the chance of him leaving DNA behind was slim, and she didn't know at this point if she'd need help. The change was happening so rapidly, and Patty was becoming more comfortable walking on all fours. But how did you get him to pull the trigger? Gerald asked as he wiped the revolver clean and slipped it carefully into Hank's limp dead hand. He was already here, holding it, with that booze half gone. I knew he wanted to, and I think when he saw me he thought I was some sort of horrible vision, a ghost, maybe a demon, so I just whispered. You know what you did. You know what you deserve. And he whimpered a little bit and stuck the gun right in his mouth and pop! They both took one last look at Hank, then carefully exited the house. Patty wagged her new tail as Gerald swapped the cars back and she leapt into the front seat when he popped the door open. They drove home with Patty's chin resting on the edge of the open window, smelling the sweet scent of freedom. When they arrived, Gerald removed the Hank costume and watched it burn in the fireplace from the comfort of the living room couch. Patty curled up on the pillow next to him in a tight ball and sighed deeply. Gerald would never hear her speak again. By morning, her transformation was complete.
The next morning, Gerald got ready for their walk as reporters on the TV in the background speculated on Hank's killing spree and suicide. He put the collar Patty picked out around her fuzzy neck and told her she was a good girl. He clipped the lead to her collar and made her sit. We'll head to the doctor tomorrow, Patty, and make sure the cancer's gone. And then it's you and me. Another 15 years of adventures. As the door shut behind them, a woman on the TV standing outside Hank's house mentioned a small flip phone that had been found, smashed to pieces as if run over in the driveway. It was early morning. Dawn was warming up the California sky, and as Patty did her business on the neighbor's lawn, a mailman walking by asked Gerald what kind of dog she was. Some sort of poodle mix, Gerald said. One of a kind, if you ask me, said the mailman as he kept on his path to work. Gerald smiled leaving the mess behind as they continued their walk into the sunrise. Now they were man and man's best friend, Gerald thought. It felt like a dream come true. But even the best of dreams can slip into a nightmare. Not too far back, lurking in the shadows of the bushes, a coyote stalked them from behind, eyeing itself an easy meal. Hey friends, do you want to write scary stories like me, but you don't know where to start? Well, let me tell you about a course I took online called Nightmare Fuel, which is presented by Autocrit, our sponsor, guiding you through everything you need to know to develop and create amazing tales packed with fear and terror. Nightmare Fuel is an absolute horror writing survival guide with a healthy measure of self-study, workbooks, videos, and intensive live virtual classrooms. In addition to the impressive breadth of knowledge from the teachers, the course also features exclusive and meaningful guidance from Rain Hall, gothic horror author and creator of the Writer's Craft Guidebook series. Okay, so you've got your money's worth right there, but let me tell you about the parts where I really benefited, and that's the private member community and the editing software. The Autocrit software is like hiring a great therapist. It's there to guide you towards making good decisions in your writing, but you still do the work yourself and make your own decisions. The software can run hundreds of reports that help you critique your own writing, pacing, and repetition, and it has taken my writing to a whole new level. Now, I made friends during the class, talented, hard-working friends who love to write stories like I do, and we were able to connect, to chat, share our work, and get feedback from each other without sharing personal information through the private Autocrit network, which for me is like if I could take my favorite social media platform and remove everyone who's not interested in what I like. I can't tell you enough how valuable this class has been for me, and they don't just do horror, they have sci-fi and fantasy as well, so if you're looking to get started in writing or you just want to take that next step to get better, check out Haunting Season autocrit. Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. Tonight we've got two guests to talk to about the story that we just heard and a little bit about their own podcast called Believing the Bazaar. We've got Tyler and Charlie. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been, um, it's been a little crazy getting ready for Halloween. It's an intense time if you are in the paranormal... <laughs> I would just say entertainment world. There's like all this added pressure. It's like, we love you the other 11 months of the year, but what are you doing for Halloween? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking about putting an episode out. Is that, is that, not, is that not enough? <laughs> I've been stressing out about it because I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've got the YouTube channel. I've got the TikTok. I've got the podcast. And then now this company called Scener reached out to me to do some watch parties of horror movies throughout October. <laughs> I have to fill three hours of content per week. And I... 
have decided to live stream or watch party two movies a week on like a Tuesday and a Thursday after work. So that's eight movies in October. And then I thought it would be easy to fill out eight spots, but there are far more movies that I want to watch than I can fit into eight spots. And so I'm like constantly changing up what I'm going to do. And I, I, you know, like if you guys were hosting a Halloween party, what's the movie you would put on? Oh, man. I'm putting you right on the spot. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to do a classic that everybody already had seen. So you can still like, it's in the background, but you don't have to intently watch it. You can actually focus on who you're talking to and drinks or whatever like that. I would probably do the original Halloween. Oh yeah, classic. But if it was like every Everybody gather round. We're going to watch this movie. It probably would be The Ritual on Netflix. Did you know that? Did you know? Oh, I was... Have I seen it? No. You Did you know I was going to say that? No. It's not in my top three. My top three, and it's going to make me sound like I'm 15 years old, you are. but it's Insidious, Sinister, and The Conjuring, which all came out within three years of each other. But The Ritual is so underrated. I feel like it's been on Netflix forever, so I would hope most people have seen it by now. It's such a good movie. Yeah, that movie's astounding. Like, I'm such a baby with horror movies. Like, I want to make sure everyone else is happy, so I probably put on something, like, scarier than I'm comfortable with, because, like, the most I'm comfortable with is, like, Gremlins or Hocus Pocus. Yeah, but Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Well. (laughs) Hocus Pocus I would absolutely put on. In my house, it's on multiple times a year. I think my wife watches it, like, seven or eight times. It's just on repeat. Yeah, that and Practical Magic. So pushing those aside, I mean, I recently saw the, I think, 1988 or 1985 version of Fright Night and was blown away. I think that's a really, really fun one for Halloween. But if I was going full scary... I don't know. I've been obsessed with anything for Jackson this year. I don't know if you heard of that Mm -hmm. one. It came out on Shudder. It reminds me of The Shining in the way that it's accumulative scary. So it's not like any one moment like makes you jump out of your skin. It's just like these creepy things just keep happening and happening and happening and and by the end of it you're just like totally weirded out. Shudder's a service I don't have and multiple people have said I should get it. And I probably should, but I I just, I don't. For me, it's all part of like unlocking the system so that when someone gives me a recommendation, I plug it in my Apple TV and it'll tell me what streaming platform it's on. And it's pretty rare that I have to rent something. That's clutch. Is Friday night the one where the guy dies? In the bathroom, the public bathroom, no. like a heart attack or something. No, Friday Night's the one with the vampires. How do you not know this? What, <laughs> I know this. Am I thinking this? <laughs> what am I thinking of? It's got to do with the blonde. We literally just talked about this movie. It's like not Fright Night. It's the Frighteners. Oh. I've never seen the Frighteners. Frighteners, right? No, Frighteners is Michael J. Fox. That's what I was thinking of. Someone dies in a public bathroom in that one? Yeah, and it actually freaked me out. And for a while, I didn't want to go in a public bathroom. <laughs> Is it a memorable scene? I don't remember that. Uh, It's probably not. It probably (laughs) almost was on the chopping block of the screenplay. But for me, however old I was when I first watched it, I was like, oh my God, like the one place I thought I was safe. No, Friday Night's the one that did the remake with David Tennant. I really enjoyed that remake. Did you watch it for David Tennant? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) He had tight leather pants on. The remake has uh, Colin Farrell. Yes, he does. Him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Powerhouse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you didn't watch for Colin Farrell. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know he was in it. I was like, oh, is that Colin Farrell? I know David Tennant. Have coming. you not seen the original? No, I have not. Oh my god! Okay, you gotta watch it because it's it's practical effects, so it is like a little spooky, scary, but it's also kind of like I don't know how to explain it. Almost like Tim Burtony a little bit with like the style in which they do the vampire. So it's not like you're gonna have nightmares about it. It's actually super fun and kitschy a little bit, but it holds up. It's great, 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 great. I'll man. definitely have to watch that. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think of the story this week? I know we had talked a little bit about it in our like pre 
interview call before I had finished the story and I went a totally different direction. So (laughs) I'd love to hear what you guys think. So let me ask you this. Where were you at with the story when we last talked? Like what, what was new material since we talked? Just out of curiosity. So when we first talked, I had the rough idea of this old couple going on a killing spree. And that's pretty much what I knew. And I know that I think it was you Charlie, that we were like tossing around ideas for the ending. You were like, oh, what if one of the people they kill has like a liver transplant for her? Because I didn't know what was going to be wrong with her. I just knew like one of them had to be dying in order to motivate this like killing spree with no guilt. Yeah. But I turned her into a dog instead. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because I didn't know how it was going to end either. I just knew the premise going into it. I spent three years of my life paying way too much money for a creative writing master's degree. So I'm going to treat it like a workshop. I'm going to tell you what I liked. Then I have some questions. That's great because... Because as of recording this, I still have time to make some alterations. There you go. You're going to be like, well, that was dumb he brought that up. That's not how it happened at all. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, like, I'm recording this story that will be in this episode on Monday. So I have, like, the weekend to be like, well, Charlie didn't like this part. (laughs) And then you would just edit out what we're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, why did he die at the end? And then you change that. And they're like, did they even read the story? (laughs) So one, love the names. It totally fit the time. Gerald and patty yeah like Mm. perfect names hank doreen yeah i thought it was a really good relationship between humor and existentialism the part that really made me laugh out loud was the homemade my ass or whatever i'm paraphrasing because i don't have in front of me (laughs) but i literally started busting up laughing so i thought because there's like really good humor but also at the same time even though they're doing something really terrible and it's it's just the whole thing is ridiculous it's still has the theme that everybody dies and make the most of even if you're doing something terrible i guess make the most of what you have i like that you trust your readers you could have spent i don't know how long i didn't like time myself reading it so i normally think in time like movies so Mm -hmm. you could have spent two paragraphs prefacing with a ton of exposition but you trust your readers enough and you trust your own writing enough that you were going to leave clues to what was happening throughout Because if somebody just jumps into this story, you know, they're going to get the premise of what the old couple's doing, but they're not going to know. Like the doctor thing and the Han, you know, he didn't know. And what's happening to her hair on her face. I like that you are not like, okay, so the year is 1954. This old couple, well, let me tell you what's happening to Patty. You know, I, I just appreciate that we were given clues throughout. And it also makes people probably have to reread it again, which I think is awesome because that obviously gives them a second read through on your end. But also it just it just shows that you trust your readers to have a a certain level of intelligence. I appreciate that. Like one one thing uh, in my horror writing class that I took earlier in the year that the teacher said was give them A and C, but don't give them B, you know, like let let people connect the dots themselves. Don't always connect all the dots. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. So now a couple questions. Maybe these are clues that I wasn't intelligent enough to pick up on. Or maybe I wasn't intelligent enough to (laughs) Right in the answers. (laughs) The the coyote at the end. Yeah. Is that supposed to be Hank or is that the person that maybe turned Patty? Yeah, no, I didn't think of that at all. I just thought that I wanted to have the feeling at the end of, oh, they got away with it, but then something awful still happens. So I live in California and at dusk and at dawn, we have to be really careful because the coyotes come down from the mountain and they'll roam the streets and I've had them stalking our dogs while we're walking before. So that was my own personal little like, okay, she's turned into a dog and she's gotten away 
way. The evidence can't point to her because who would know she's a dog and you can't put a dog in jail, but the coyote is coming after her. So there's there are still dangers and she's not it's not all happy go lucky being a dog. Same thing with the cell phone in the driveway being run over. Eventually, you know, maybe they get the SIM card out of it. Maybe Gerald is still at yeah. risk for being caught and implemented in the crime, even though he tried to keep his DNA out of everything. Gotcha. See, in Ohio we got squirrels. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't got we don't gotta worry that much. But see, regionally, I totally now understand where you're coming from of that impending danger. I thought it was a callback to, oh, is this the one that changed her? And I also knew what our topic was today too. So I was probably a little bit influenced from that. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'm happy if that's an open ending that someone took away from this. That's cool. That that makes it seem like a cooler story. <laughs> so it was an experiment then, right? It's on the wife. Yeah, I, I figured she has some sort of incurable cancer or something. And they're like, well, we do have this new drug. You know, the one doctor is like, I can experiment on you. But, you know, the side effects are crazy. And then she ends up turning into a dog. Gosh, so instead of living like two more years, you'll live 12 more years and eat shit you know, twice a day, but yeah, exactly. The cancer will be gone, but yeah, you'll be licking your own asshole for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, so those are my notes and questions, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. Cool. I'm not nearly as meticulous or as articulate as Tyler. I thought it was nice. I really like the imagery, especially with the sun being picked up by Hank. I really like that. I also really liked the relationship between Patty and Gerald. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely love each other. Yeah. And it comes out like they like are comfortable enough with each other to pick at each other right yeah and i think that kind of develops with time too like the the more time you spend with someone the more you like kind of know how to poke the holes exactly I, like a husband taking his then wife for a walk yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. it's crazy so the guy hank is actually based on a real person so i saw an old couple in an older car like this careening around the corner just like laughing their asses off one morning on my way to work and that's what spawned the entire story I was like I, they gotta be in a story those two are amazing the guy Hank and the whole story about the kid and the bicycle the kid on the bicycle is me when I was little I think I had seen like BMX biking for the first time on TV and so I went off a curb and turned my wheel and cracked my chin open and was like bleeding out in the street and the neighbor it was actually the opposite the neighbor came home he stopped his car looked out the window at me continued into his driveway walked inside, dropped off his briefcase, then came back out and put a handkerchief to my chin and helped me to the curb and then went back inside. <laughs> he said, grow a beard, son. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it sprouted from the wound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because it's like, I'm going to care, but I'm going to care the absolute least amount. But that is such like a trope, isn't it? The bandana thing. I feel like in like 80s and 90s mm -hmm. movies, every adult has like a bandana that yeah. they give to an injured kid. Sometimes have one in my pocket too. And I don't know if it's a callback to that. Just in case. Just in case you see an injured <laughs> child. Just in case there's an injured child. <laughs> So I don't want to get too far into this without like properly identifying who you guys are. You're so easy to talk to. We just kind of rolled into it. But I think getting into the next part of the conversation, it's important for people to know like what your show is about and how you guys got started. So Charlie, do you want to kick us off? Okay. Yeah. So I'm Charlie and this is Tyler. And we are the co-hosts and makers of Believing the Bizarre podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into something we find interesting like conspiracy theories or ghosts or cryptids i love cryptids and i really like ghosts a lot and aliens and we break down like we did the pascagoula 
Invasion pickup. What? The Pascagoula. The abduction, yeah. The, yeah, the past. I forgot the word for abduction. Um, <laughs> the Pascagoula abduction. You know where the aliens take you away for just a little bit and arrange your organs. And we talk. <laughs> bring it back. Bring and we back. talk about that for the majority of the episode, and then toward the end we break it down in our like discussion section, and then we rate it on like a like a scale. <laughs> abduction and scale. It's been a long day. <laughs> I know. I'm like, hey guys, let's meet after work on a Thursday. Our teleprompter is really blurry. (laughs) (laughs) That that was supposed to be like our our separating factor. It's that you know, for 75 percent of the episode, we're just telling stories that anybody else could research on their own. We're not like masters or people that know more than you. But then the last like 20 percent of the episode, we take a step back from the episode and talk about what we find believable about it, what we don't believe. So even if we're like guns blazing the first half, this is crazy there's so much fun you know sometimes at the end we're like "Eh, i don't really believe it though yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's fun to explore even if you don't believe it like it's our time to think critically and like does that really make sense yeah i think it's dangerous when people believe everything yeah or if they feel like they have to believe everything, if you're like, if you're a paranormal entertainer, it's okay to sometimes be skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel very comfortable going into that territory, but I know you do too. But I feel like some people, you know, you don't want to do a great story on something like, well, we all know that's bullshit, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I work in parts to my story about like when I cracked my chin open on the street is because I love having the option of telling someone when they say, "Is this a true story?" For me to say, "Well, there's truth in everything," because I would much rather let their imagination run wild than to be like nah I just made that shit up it's fucking crazy you know like (laughs) that's such a more boring answer so I write parts of my life into these or I base characters off of people I know and I even try with the ghost stories to to weave in experiences that I've heard firsthand from other people or experiences that I've had on ghost hunts and you know maybe they'll flourish a little bit but you know the truth is in there it's hard to put your finger on anything being completely untrue Yeah. You know, I did some videos on like hollow earth and people were like, that's false. You're an idiot. But, you know, you don't know. Yeah. You've never been to the center (laughs) of the earth. It's true. It's And there's some conspiracies that we haven't touched on because they're so uh, volatile, I think, is how I'll put it nicely. Some people Mm -hmm. are so passionately for and against some. Hollow earth is one that we haven't done yet, although we've had some people ask. We touched on it a little Um, bit. Yeah, we've touched on it. But I mean, it's, I, I think the same way. It's like, it's fun to talk about. I think if you get too dangerously either side, I live in a gray area though, so I'm definitely biased, but it's like, we don't know. Like, we don't know. Like, does it sound crazy? Yeah, sure. But nobody's been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The furthest we've ever drilled down is something like eight miles. Yeah. Yeah. And Eminem was there. Eminem. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Mom's yeah. spaghetti. That's the second time Mom's spaghetti has come up in a podcast that I'm in today. Today? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was on um, earlier today. I was on a podcast about menstruation as a non-menstruating human talking about like men's perception of what periods are like. And I made the reference. I was talking about like when I go into a store, even though I'm not a kid anymore, I still have baked into me because of all the stereotypes and the stuff that we see on TV of being embarrassed to buy tampons. Mm-hmm. And I was explaining like, you know, I'm walking up to the counter, my hands are sweaty, mom's spaghetti. And like, <laughs> you know, and it just like came out like that. It's not. I- 
know this isn't probably the path you wanted this to go down, but in pop culture, it is kind of shoved at men. It's like, that's gross, guys, right? Isn't it gross that they do that? It's gross. We, we all agree on it. It's gross. <laughs> and it's like, and then you step back and you're like, wait, why did I used to think this was so gross? Yeah. So I'm not really a producer of this show, Flow, but one of the producers of my show, Haunting Season, is the host of Flow, Jessica, and it's through the company that I work for. So I'm, I'm involved in the show and it's basically like a monthly podcast about periods. And one thing that always comes up, and it came up especially today when we were talking about it, is it's 50% of the population. What are we weirded out about? Like, why are we not allowed to talk about it? It's just out there. People think it's gross. You know, people think Bob Dylan's good. Some things are just out there. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird time to take a shot at Bob Dylan. (laughs) I never thought today's episode would be about Bob Dylan and tampons. So how long have you guys been doing your show? This one, we've been doing about a year and a month, two months. What was before that? Oh, man, it was a variety show that was supposed to be, it wasn't even supposed to be localized, but it was, I guess, variety show is probably the best way you can say it. It's like the first week, we had other segments sprinkled in, like the first week we were going to try restaurant and review it. Second week, we were going to watch a movie and review it. Week three VIP, we were interviewing local artists. And then week four, we talked about paranormal stuff, which is what led to where we are now. Ah. We were basically a local Northeast Ohio podcast, not wanting to be a local Northeast Ohio podcast. Like we wanted it to expand beyond the region, but we're like, well, you know, people from like California can't try this restaurant. (laughs) They don't give a shit about what we think about this mom and pop shop down the street. And they don't know these artists that are doing community theater. And that's not knocking its community theater. It's just... If you're from, you know, Illinois and you're never going to see this person ever perform. Yeah, the, you you want a larger pool of listenership than just, you know, the guy hosing down the flowers in town square. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we enjoyed doing it. It was a ton of fun, but then we decided to pivot. We liked our paranormal segments the most, and when we kind of had a production meeting and we were like... Yeah, we are like, we're never going to leave Segway behind. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're probably going to still keep doing it, though, for fun. Oh, that went fast. <laughs> but we decided, in terms of, like, niches, like, our biggest... Th- through line for each other was paranormal where we both yeah. really passionate about it we both, we really both had a lot it. of fun doing it too. yeah and people said those were our best segments on the previous show so we were like well let's pivot let's try doing both and in the first month and a half we got as many downloads we had in the last year of the first one. Oh wow and, and that's not bragging that's how low <laughs> the other one was yeah that's so absolutely. we were like you know we got jobs we got families you know we can't be doing two podcasts especially we're not seeing like you know an roi on the first one so so. Yeah, well, you know, life life has a way of, you know, taking you down different paths. I immediately hearing the first 10 minutes of one of your episodes was like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> so I think having that show before this, you know, set you up for success to to have now your Believing the Bizarre paranormal show. Definitely helps. For sure. I know, like, especially with editing, like yeah. you got to get all your testing because <laughs> yeah. Charlie does all the editing. I do all the marketing and Charlie does all the editing. Yeah. We yeah. learned so much about what to do in the first one. It's just like, well, let's apply that to something we can do it definitely worked out it was like taking the training wheels off yeah but i i appreciate you saying that because i feel the same way about you i think front facing when you just watch content and you're like these guys are so entertaining that must be so much fun i wonder if they're going off the cuff but then when you actually talk to some other like content creators and you're like wow they're actually treating it like a business it's like well like I'm, i'm lucky enough to have my company supporting me and so i have access to some editing help and some producing help and some outreach help so i'm able to do a little bit more but i meet people like you who are doing it in i don't know what are you guys in an attic yes yeah you 
you guys are doing it out of your attic <laughs> in Ohio and the quality of your show I feel like is is equal if not better than mine I get really excited when I hear a polished show and those people want to collaborate with me it, it doesn't even matter about the numbers it's like oh here's an artist who wants to be an artist with me and do something creative yeah have you guys done anything about you know since we had Patty in the story today turn into a dog have you done anything about werewolves or anything like that skinwalkers is definitely the closest yeah we've done. Mm-hmm. there's there's one in i haven't done it yet there's one in wisconsin i want to do sometime werewolf in wisconsin it's not it's not a werewolf cheese it's werewolf. like a wolf man thing in michigan there's the michigan dog man yeah, yeah. you know about that guy there's also a thing in new orleans louisiana it's not called a werewolf it starts with an R. It's like the River Road Dog or something like that. Kind of like a Chupacabra, but specific to New Orleans. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking about. Well, I'd be interested in hearing you guys do a deep dive on werewolves. So I have one more big question for the day. But first, we have an ad from our sponsor. Memento Mori is the premier oddities and curiosities shop located in Los Angeles. Visit us at 1507 Wilcox Avenue at Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Hollywood, Fridays through Sundays, 11 to 6 p.m. Or shop online at www.mementomori-la.com. Charlie, Tyler, I've got one big question of the day, and today it is, if you had one day to live, what would you spend it doing? I would take my wife, and I would go for a drive. That's probably what I'd do. That sounds lovely. Probably not the most exciting thing. That's did you That's find out? Would like... you be murdering all the people in your book? <laughs> no. Like, well, I, I'm so empathetic. I would be like... I don't want them to die. Like I'd feel bad. I would. I would just. I would just try. Dude, to do you call me on that last day. I'm locking my doors, Ren. <laughs> if, if you're following that script, I see your key outside. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would go somewhere warm. That's what I would oh, do. Oh, that sounds nice. What if you like got in, you're all ready and you didn't have gas? Buy gas, man. What how what? like you can't drive. He's got a whole day. How much would minor inconveniences bother you on your last oh, day? Oh, so much more. Like if I couldn't connect to like PlayStation. Like I only have four <laughs> hours left. <laughs> you plug it in, you're like oh, you have your day scheduled out. You I plug it in, you're like for a drive. PlayStation oh, four know. needs an update. <laughs> you're like, this is my exactly. last day. <laughs> I would probably, and, and I'm only basing this off the fact on now that I'm so busy, I know how I spend my free time that I really have. I'll probably spend it over analyzing what I should be doing. Mm. Like I'll probably wake up and I'll get on social media for too long and then I'll be pissed at myself for sleeping in and I'll think of the hours I wasted and then I'll get pissed at myself for how long I was on social media. So then I just will probably punish myself by not doing anything. This is a little look into my head. I, I actually apologize. <laughs> but, uh, and then I'll probably make a to-do list of the things I want to do and start knocking the ones I know I won't be able to do off. I'll spread it out so thin that I won't actually be able to enjoy anything I'm doing because I I don't want to take up too much time. (laughs) And then maybe I'll be able to take my dog for a nice walk. (laughs) I like how we both had things from your story in them, the dog walking and the car driving. But I definitely, one of my greatest pleasures in terms of decompressing I've heard that you think best, you come up with the best ideas when you're in motion, when you're moving. So I like to listen to podcasts. I like to think. We used to have production meetings while walking. And I so I love walking my dog mm. for that reason. Um, I have a wife. I probably would hang out with her too. A you know bit. how much anxiety <laughs> your little this, your little thing just gave me right now? That's my life, dude. <laughs> that's my no, life. I can't live like that. I'm hoping there's at least one person out there that's listening to this is like, I get it. 
No, I, I, I get it. Thank you. That is most of my work days is that level of micromanaging myself to the point of dysfunctionality. I think if it was my last day, I haven't thought about this at all. I wrote the damn question. And I have no idea what I would do. But what I keep going back into my head is the idea of flying. That's something I feel like I would never do normally would be to like jump out of an airplane or to hang glide or do one of those squirrel suits or something. Today we fly. Today we drop out of the sky or float in the sky, parasailing something. I'd figure out, you know, drive to the highest cliff with my wife and my dogs, enjoy the sunrise, eat a really disgusting meal, and then <laughs> strap myself to something and fling myself off a cliff. And know that I'll probably make it because most people do, but the chance of dying is higher than just standing there and would just feel that anxiety flush away as the parachute or whatever catches me and just be like, huh, I did it. I finally, and then I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> or you went out on your own terms if the parachute doesn't open. I guess that's one idea. Yeah. I beat off. you death. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I get caught up in watching these TikToks. The one I saw the other day, the guy was parachuting. He took out a pistol. He shot his parachute and it like caught on fire somehow. I don't know. And then he started free falling again and pulled the secondary chute. Oh. And that was like the entire TikTok. And I was just like, I'm probably never going to sleep again. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> my, like a series of My mistakes. version would be I would shoot the, the parachute and then... That video would never get uploaded because I'd die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, we asked you on the app Hi-Ho what you would do if you had one day to live. And here's what you had to say. Oh, boy. I got one day left. Okay, so I'm doing every extreme sport possible. I am wingsuit gliding. I am skydiving. I am snowboarding. I mean, if I only got one day anyways, you know, why not try to do some stuff that's dangerous? If I had one day to live, I think I would just go back to Iceland, enjoy the northern lights, watch the sunrise and the sunset, try to catch a whale to see. Not to catch the whale, but to see a whale. Just remember the good time I had there. It was one of the best moments of my life. As much as I'd love to spend it with loved ones, friends, and family, I'd rather just be there and just relax. If people don't recognize the voice, it is Joe Dove from the Dis Dungeon podcast, friend of the Haunted Season podcast. Yeah, dude, that's what I would do. I never really had those tendencies to want to go on a massive spree of debauchery. I just kind of like want to chill and enjoy not having any stresses or worries. Hi-ho, Joshua. Well, being a fat guy from the South, I would say that I would probably take my trusty cat right here, get on the old fishing boat, go out in the middle of the lake and just fish until the sun went down and the day ended. Have a wonderful day, sir. If I had one day to live, like I knew for sure it was one day, 100%. Because we have the technology that we have, I would probably be live the whole day. I, I tried to like record or live stream the part where I die at the end. I want to put that on there. But I would probably just, you know, hold some type of open forum to just like invite everybody I know to come talk to me for that last time. Like I'm definitely about to die, so say what you got to say to me or just talk about stories that try to remind me of things that maybe I forgot, like funny times or just things that people remember from about me. And then uh, try to like network the people too. Yo, all of you people know me for different reasons. You guys would probably make good friends. And then like, you know, get them to that, to being like that. I don't know, I just would be so focused on leaving a legacy or some type of impact with my last day, maybe uh, see family. I don't know, physically, I got too many family members to go physically see all at the same time, unless they all are somewhere, but we have the internet, so we can do it on the internet. Hey Josh, I'm just now coming out of COVID. So I've actually had some time to think about this, writing to my family and my friends, and hopefully being able to teach them life lessons. Man, that's 
really tough. You know, you have all the standard questions like, oh, I'd go fishing or skydiving, do all the things I always, you know, was too scared to do. If I'm gonna die, I might as well die doing something exciting. But you know what? I think all I could ask for is that it were a nice day. Spend the day in the backyard with the family, spraying the water hose, maybe eat some hot dogs, enjoy the, the fire pit. I don't know that I would leave the backyard. I'm not saying that I wouldn't want to do some other things, but where the real piece is, is right there. If that's all the time I had, then that's exactly what I would do. Hey, this is Liz. I've already died for 35 minutes. What would I do? I would go ride my bike. On my last day, I would just ride my bike all day, all night. That's all I would do. Oh no, just a day. I feel like my gut impulse is like, Go, get out of the run, like drive, go. Maybe we can outrun this thing. But then you're wasting parts of your last day in the car. Oh no. Maybe I can convince somebody to give me like a helicopter and convince a helicopter pilot to drive me around. It's time to take to the skies. Let's let's drop in on, let's land in people's yards. Let's show up to a whole bunch of old friends' houses all day long and ask each of them if they know how to cheat death. And I don't want the helicopter to land. I'm, I'm getting down on a ladder. Keep that thing hovering. I'm gonna jump to the front door. Hey, I only got one day to live, wanted to say bye. Do you know how to cheat death, by the way? No? All right, on to the next person. I feel like I want to see a nice sunset. Let's land that helicopter on the top of Mount Rushmore. Somewhere night, I don't know. It doesn't need to be Mount Rushmore. I think Ashland has a really nice mountain range. I mean, I'm not going to follow the law. I only got one day left, doesn't matter. So I'm getting that helicopter no matter what. We're landing it wherever I want. I don't know. I think you don't know the answer to this question until it is that day, but hopefully a lot of people can drop everything and help you out and do some fun, special stuff, and you can eat all your favorite food. Thank you so much, Tyler and Charlie, for hanging out today and just shooting the shit. This is a super fun episode. Thanks for having yeah, us, thank man. Thank you very much. And we're honored to be on your show. You put on a good show, so any chance we get, we're going to jump on it. That's awesome. Tell people where we can find all your stuff. Man, I put a lot of work in that. You can just search Believe in the Czar, you'll find us. But we do have the traditional. We got the Instagram. We got YouTube. Uh, you, there's you people that on... watch our stale YouTube videos, which is... yeah. It's, it's just weird. an image with a wavelength. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, you can listen on most platforms. Pandora, Apple, really? iHeartRadio, Radio. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Nobody listened on Stitcher, no. but we're there in case iTunes. you somehow <laughs> Yeah, I'm there. on there too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you're doing a podcast? You got to be on Stitcher. Yeah. I think the only on people Stitcher. on Stitcher are, are podcasters putting their content on Stitcher. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually listens. Hit us up if you do. <laughs> Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gillen. Thank you to our special guests, Charlie and Tyler from the Believing the Bizarre podcast. Their links are in the show notes. Hunting Season is executive produced by Patrick James Lynch with Ryan and Matt Gillen with creative support from Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, Mel Forrest, and my wife, Courtney Barber. Today's story was edited by Colby Crow, and the podcast was edited by Drama Del Rosario using music made exclusively for the show by North Innsbruck. Thank you to our listeners for contributing your voice to the show using the Hi-Ho app. Check out Haunting season on tiktok for daily doses of horror movie reviews and nightmare fuel and thanks again to our sponsor nightmare fuel powered by autocrit that's it for our show today but remember we're more likely to survive if we stick together i'll see you next time